Good morning. Uh, as Claude says, my name is Corey. If you haven't met me, I'm pretty sure everyone has. Uh, it's it's so good to get into, dig into uh, scripture with everyone. Um, we're going to be digging into and continuing our series in the book of Exodus and then the mini-series of, of provision as we talk through and walk through uh, the provision stories in this kind of middle chunk in the book of Exodus. If you've been at Redeemer, uh, you might notice that we pray a lot. Um, Claude just prayed, and then as we, we dig into Scripture, I want to take a minute to just, just pray. And I think it's important to just take a moment here. We pray not just because the Bible tells us to, which the Bible does, pray without ceasing, uh, not just because it's good at transitions in church, which it is good at transitions in church, um, but because we have a real felt need, that we need God to show up and do something in the songs that we sing, in, in the relationships that we build here, and in the word that gets preached. So uh, I'll take another minute here and pray, and I ask that you pray with me, uh, that you not only pray for me, that I would speak with clarity uh, and, and bring forth God's word, but you pray for the people on your left and your right, that God would open eyes and hearts and ears, and then we would feel this need that we need God to do something and then express that in prayer. So let's, let's take another minute here and pray specifically as we dig into Exodus 17. Father, the fact that we're here uh, in this room, wherever we are in our journey in following you, Jesus, the fact that we're here is a testament to your goodness and your love towards us. And now as, as I try to open up your word and make it clear, um, and as we, as a people, as, as family, try to dig into your scriptures, I pray that you would help us. We need you. In the midst of trying to understand your word, we want to look to you to bring illumination and understanding and clarity. You have done this in the past. You've promised to do it again. And so we plead with you now that you would do it again. Do it in our own hearts. Do it in the hearts of our friends and family to the left and right of us here. Do it again for your glory, for our joy, and for the good of all. Pray this in Jesus' name. So Mother's Day is today. Happy Mother's Day again. Uh, it is very special. I, I don't see my darling wife in the, the back, but happy Mother's Day, babes. Um, she's, she's right up back. She's listening. Uh, really special day, and uh, as, as uh, it was about a year and a half ago, I guess, yeah, almost like a year and a half ago um, that we got pregnant, which mainly, mostly my wife. Um, <laughs> And uh, proceeded to continue to be pregnant. That was, the, you know, uh, mostly my wife. But as, as it was, it was amazing. It's actually we we actually found out on my birthday, which made my birthday super special. Um, and then for the next nine months and ten days, my wife worked really hard. She, you know, we're just we're total like first time parents, so eat all the right foods. You know, she's she's doing her walks, maybe you know, she's doing exercise, trying to be all ready for this this laboring that she's going to have to do. And, uh, and you know, at home, we're, we're making sure that we get to, you know, put the bassinet up so the baby's, like, literally a foot away from our bed, like, right there. And then we have two cameras set up, you know, because one's not enough. Uh, power supply back... No, I'm just kidding about that. I wouldn't know how to do it. I'd have to, I'd have to call someone named Drew. Um, but we did everything we could. And then she comes. It's great. Wife did great. Uh, and she was born October 5th, named Aaliyah Carroll. 
and she's healthy, holy, the whole deal. Like, just, just the most precious gift ever. We bring her home, and it's like, you know, we, we got to fix the, you know, get the car seat right, just right. You know, we're care and concern, like, all the way to the hilt, right? We bring her home, and, like, any cry or anything, we're, like, there, you know? I mean, this is, I know, I know, I know I'm speaking to most of the parents, but have you ever seen, like, a new parent? Times 10. Like, we're, we're all about it. We're caring about everything. And, and really, let's just be honest, it's, it's a hero. This is why Mother's Day, uh, why, why we celebrate this, because moms do so much work, so much work. Uh, my wife took care of Aaliyah in and through everything. She cried, needed food, the whole, the whole nine, up in the middle of the night. And along the way, of course, being first-time parents, we're like, all the measurements, you know, how much tummy time do we get? This is enough, you know, if she's supposed to cry, do five minutes in or something, then we pick her up, you know, what, however this works, and sleep training, that was fun, not, um, just, it's just brutal to feel your kid cry, um, but thankfully she does, she does sleep through the night, um, she's perfect, obviously, I mean, um, but we, you know, we're, we measure all the milestones, you know, and one of the things we were doing, you know, this is, I didn't know, I just, you know, you play this game called Peekaboo. Have you ever heard of this game? So, so I'm doing Peekaboo, and I'm just, you know, having fun with my kid. And my wife, she knows these things. You know, she knows, like, what it's called, you know, the milestones. She did psych in undergrad, and she, she keeps up on this. So this, is a, this is a big thing. This is a big thing. This Peekaboo is, is a big teaching moment here. And what my kid, my little Leah, had to learn was this thing called object permanence. Does anybody know what no, object permanence? Wow, I've got nodding heads. I had no clue. I had no clue, but it's, what it's called is object permanence, and it's where um, Aliyah had to learn that even though we weren't there, we were still there. You know, like if what happens is the infant, uh, if if you have some person or object and that just is not in their sight, it's like it never, never, it's not, it doesn't exist. So it's very distressing, very distressing for a little ones. So. This comes up in, in uh, sleep training. Obviously, we've got to you know, walk away, and she's like, you're not here. Where are you? And despite everything that we did, I mean, we, like, like from day one, the bassinet, then we moved to the crib, and we're like right there, right there with every need that she has. She had to learn that even though she couldn't see us, we were still there. Not just there for her, but like right here in the same apartment, like just on the other side of the door, just in our own like in agony, listening to this girl cry, like, we are there. But she had to learn that we're still, even though she can't see us, we were, we were here, here, there, in the apartment with her. And as I think about that story, the story of my kid growing up in front of me and learning all these milestones, it happens to run right as we're working through the book of Exodus. And the book of Exodus really tells the story of how Israel grew up. I mean, we're really reading a story to see how these people, remember in the opening of Exodus 1, we see... These are the sons of the Israelites, and it's the, you know, the 12 names of the 12 tribes of Israel, and a total of a little, little group of people is kind of, well, and our, our 70 people as a family is kind of a big family. But there's little, it really, to what they become, there's you know, 70 people, and then God's promises become realized. Even down in Egypt, they become fruitful and multiple, so much so that Pharaoh doesn't like that. He wants to squash out that promise, and so there's difficulty as, as Israel is trying to grow up, and then... To rescue Israel, God calls this, this guy Moses. You may have heard of him. He's, he's starred in a bunch of good movies. Um, he, gets, he gets raised up, and God calls him. He says, you know, I've heard the cry of my people, and I've come down to deliver them. 
This is in the call. We, we, we did this now. It seems quite a while ago. Exodus 3 and 4. God calls Moses to bring the people up out. And he says, I've heard their cry and I've come down to deliver them. And for Moses, that's a big, big call. Now they're, they're not just 70 people. It's not like a little field trip out in the wilderness to, to sign. It's actually a big, big ordeal. And so God says to Moses, through all of this, I'm going to be with you. And the sign that you'll know that I'm going to be with you is because you're going to come up out of Egypt and you're going to be on this mountain. Which mountain? There it's called Horeb. It's just another name for Sinai. He says, you're going to come out here and you're going to worship the Lord on this mountain. He promises to be with Moses as he calls him to do something great. And as you see, God, God starts to enact this great deliverance. This is all the plagues. He's judging Egypt for the mistreatment of his people. But that brings about rescue and salvation. And the big one was we started, looked at just a couple weeks ago in Exodus 14, where the people are coming out, and, and, and Moses, or uh, Pharaoh rather, he changes his mind, and he pursues after the people. So now they're hemmed in. They've got a sea in front of them and Pharaoh behind them, rocking a hard place like you've never seen. And so what do they do? Pharaoh, they said, this is in uh, Exodus 14. Pharaoh's approaching. The, the Israelites lift up their eyes, and behold, Egypt is pursuing after him. And they were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. Then they grumble too. Don't get me wrong. They say some, some nasty words to Moses too that, that aren't, aren't too friendly to say the least. But they cry out to the Lord. God hears their cry, and he delivers them. And this last line that we have, that we, we, we kind of has this banner flying over the wilderness wanderings as we talked about, is that the last bit of it there is in the last verse of Exodus 14 is that they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. They believed in the Lord and his servants Moses. So out of the delivery comes a people of faith. And then as we get into the wilderness, as we talked about last week, these, this people of faith had to figure out how that faith works, not just when they really needed God, when their back's up against the wall, but in the everyday provision, the mundane details and the real needs that show up every day in their lives. With water, with food, they needed God to show up again. And so that brings us kind of up to date as we see this people grow up in front of us, there's another lesson that they need to learn. And so I invite you, if you've got a Bible, like one of these in the back, if you don't have a Bible, this is our gift to you um, that you can grab on your way out. But if you've got, most of us have a phone, you can flick that on or something in between. What we're going to do is I want just to read the scriptures, uh, and then we're going to try to dig in and bring some understanding to them. This is Exodus 17, just the first seven verses. Exodus 17, 1 to 7. Now all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin. I know S-I-N has nothing to do with sin. Um, just, just a funny thing in English. Um, by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and they camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. No water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled, or I like duped it out with Moses, and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel? Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there 
for water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, What shall I do with this people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people. Taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and taking your hand, the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Huev, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and they called the name Massah, which is it's like the testing spot, or um, uh, Meribah, which quarrel or duke it out spot, um, because of the people quarreling, uh, the quarreling of the people of Israel, because they tested the Lord by saying, "Is the Lord among us or not?" Short little story, but packs uh, quite a punch, and it's it's uh, it's on us to really dig in to see what's what's happening. And before you go thinking that, you know, there's, when we read, read the scriptures, we just see an example of what to do. This is not, this is not one of those times. This is not one of those times. This is, a, this is an example of what not to do, or what we should avoid <laughs> quite a bit. And so I want to take, if we just look at the basic plot points that we have laid out, particularly focusing on, on how the people, um, we've got a problem, a need arises, they need they need water. Just like before, they needed water. They needed food. And then part, uh, part two here, the next plot point we have is the people complain and quarrel with Moses. And then Moses cries out to the people. Moses cries out. And then the Lord provides via this staff. Same staff that he struck the Nile is the same staff that he's supposed to strike the rock and provide with the people. And the end conclusion is one of, of, of doubt. Is the Lord among us or not? And so if that wasn't enough to say this is not what, this is, this is not what you do. Uh, remember Paul's words on this that says these are written down. We kind of frame this story that these were written down as a warning of what not to do. So you know what not to do, that these people tested the Lord in the wilderness and you are not, uh, not to do that. And I think some of the points uh, really come to bear when we compare with that last story in Exodus 14 of this great deliverance that God brings. There, too, they had a problem. There, it's big, bad Pharaoh pursuing after them as they're hemmed in from the water. And what do they do? They, the people, see Pharaoh cry out to the Lord. They cry out. They have a need, and they express that need before God. And the Lord provides. He provides deliverance from Pharaoh in judging Pharaoh. And the Lord provides deliverance from his people through this, this staff of Moses's, Moses's staff. And then as we noted just, just a minute ago, the conclusion of that is faith, that they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. And when you put these next to each other, we see that there's, it's so easy, I think, for us to cry out to God with the big things, and ignore him in the small day-to-day -day things. It's so much easier to grumble in the small things, and then when we have no other choice, 
We really, really, then we cry out. There's no atheist in foxholes. When you're up against the wall, when you have no one else to turn to, you usually look up. That's just, just, just the way we kind of operate. And it, it's the Israelites growing up in front of us. And it's easier to grumble, especially as we had that, that last line there, the conclusion of, of in 17.7, of doubt. It's easier to grumble when we don't think God is actually with us, for us, actually going to bring us through this time. And I could test, I mean, for, for in my own life and in our family, it is super, super easy for us to grumble in the day-to-day, and then when it gets really, really bad, then we cry. Then we're, then we're a people of prayer. Then our faith has to, you know, really have to make something of it. And, and it's just saying, I mean, if you've, uh, if you've been in our place, we've got like, we, I think we still have like all these, all these pictures of, uh, you know, the, what's it called? The ultrasound. Ultrasound. I was there for everyone. It was great. But early on, we got this very cool, cool picture. Aaliyah was the size of a blueberry. I still, to this day, will call her blueberry. She is, will always be my little blueberry. And, uh, but out of that was a, like a 24-hour, not even a 24-hour period of real, real worry for us. Um, the reason why we got that picture, um, because the doctor thought that we might have ectopic, which if you know, that's really bad. It's where the baby's not sitting quite right in there. And so, I mean, it was over in 24 hours. But I'm telling you, when we got that news, we prayed. We cried. We, we, we broke like between excitement to absolute just crumbling. And we go in and, and we get checked out and we get this great little ultrasound, little blueberry, and everything looks like it's going to be okay and, and we're okay. Now, if you meet, meet my kid at some point, I hope you do. She's beautiful. Um, it's Mother's Day. I'm going to just, just, just lather it on. That's true. Um, but especially today, my little blueberry... Um, like so many kids, has some dry skin. And she's, she's a little spitty up, you know, or that's what we call it, but she spits up a little bit, a little bit more than your average kid or whatever. Perfectly healthy, fine, she's not crying. But in the Farkas household, we grumble, we complain, we kind of just bicker amongst ourselves about, you know, oh, I wish she didn't have this dry skin, and you know, no, no. what we rarely do is bring that grumbling and, and, and the kind of bickering in prayer to the Lord. It's just we just know. We just, we just kind of complain and we put on some lotion and we just try to like get on. It's a very different, different, different response to the problem of there might be some real serious problems. When, when we were like at our wits end, then we pray. But in the day to day, we don't. And this is just me just being honest. This is in my own life. This, this hits home really bad because it's so easy in the day to day to grumble. It's so easy when our faith fails us that we through the day-to-day, we're so easy to grumble in the small things, but not trust God in those things. And so if this teaches us what, what not to do, put positively, it's the people of faith that don't just grumble and complain, but then they pray. Even in the wilderness, even in the dark nights, even in uh, the everyday dark nights and loneliness and the hurt, we pray. Everything we bring before God. A people of faith or a people of prayer, even through the wilderness, just like the Israelites. But in this story, we actually get also what to do. There's actually a fruit that 
that buds out of faith in the example of Moses. So if the, if the people, they have their problem, the need for water, but if you run through the, the basic plot points for Moses' part to play, he has a problem too. What's, the, what's his problem? I'm sure he's thirsty too. I would be. I've, I mean, it's, it, it's hard to go without water. I'm feeling it right now. Because if you know, I drink water incessantly. But what's his problem? The people that don't have water are going to stone him. There's his problem. What's Moses do? He prays. He cries out to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord. Says, They're going to stone me. I bring my problem, my legit problem to you and say, please do something. The Lord provides deliverance from these people. This ironic twist. They were just asking for prayer to save them from Pharaoh, and now Moses has to go to get delivered from these people, which doesn't bode well for the people. They don't look so good in this. And so Moses, via his, his staff, by God's direction, is supposed to take it, and he strikes the rock, and he brings out water for the people. And by providing for the people, he, he gets his own neck saved as well. His cry, his prayer and petition then is provided for deliverance. He gives us the example of what to do. But as we see it in Moses, it's, it's a, little bit, a little bit more complicated than that because it's through his work, through his crying out to the Lord and provision that God brings. It's his mediating, or, or we say like uh, intervening in between God and the people. That through his prayer, through his outcry, he actually does this kind of one on behalf of saving his own neck, but it actually works to, to deliver the people and provide for the people. And when we ask the question, like, how, how does that happen? Moses seems to, seems to still be that person of faith. And if we remember, this is a story as we rehearsed as going through, when God calls Moses, he says what? You're going to bring out these people and I will be with you. See, God gives him a promise. God's word comes forth to to strengthen Moses in his time of thinking, how is this going to work? And God says, I'm going to be with you. And the way you'll know that, how does, how's Moses supposed to know that? You're going to come out, you're going to be on this mountain, and you're going to worship. This mountain being Horeb. And this is where, I know, these names, just pronounce them really fast. Hey, this is the way to get through them. They're really hard to pronounce, but if you notice, the way the Lord describes this is you're going to strike the rock at where? At Horeb. They are literally right around the corner. The promise that God makes to Moses that I will be with you and the sign will be that you will be on this mountain is like right around the corner. And so Moses, with God's word and promise of the past, is able to bring that promise into the present through faith. He trusts in the Lord because of his password in the present problem. And so, if, But if you're like me, I mean, this just being honest... Uh, it's easy to forget. Like, if you ever, if you ever forgot something, it sucks. It's horrible. I mean, I, I don't remember things. Where, I mean, it happens to me all the time. And so we have to ask the question then, uh, looking at the text, I mean, it seems that there's... How do we cultivate this remembering? One way we do that here in Redeemer is a thing called C, we call it CBR, because, you know, little, little abbreviations are, are cool. 
but it's community Bible reading, where we're just reading through the Bible. We're reading through this story to remind ourselves of God's past word of promise so that we can bring that into our present need. And so when we, when we rehearse that story, we actually find ourselves able to live in it and be the people of faith that look to God in prayer. Another way we do that here is, as Claude mentioned earlier, is we have these gospel communities. This is a place where we have, when we have a real need, we share that need amongst family, and we say, this, I need, like, my bank account's running low, school loans are coming, I need, I need more, more food in my fridge, or, or maybe I'm just stressed out at work. We share those needs, and then we're able to pray and bring those as a community, as a family, bear those burdens together and pray Excuse me. Another way this, this works out is in terms of uh, if, if you're a journaler. I mean, any journalers in the room? Journaling is really helpful. You note the needs, the, the problems that you face, and you note, you know, put a little date next to that, and you say, this time I pray, I ask God to do something here. And you have your own story that kind of, God willing, looks a lot like the people that, that we're reading in, in the book of Exodus. We're growing up. And we get to learn those lessons and be reminded of those lessons moving forward. So the next time we face a wilderness, the next time we face a problem, we can be those people of faith, the people of faith that are a people of prayer. Now, one of the great things about uh, uh, Scripture is it's this big, big story. It's this big story. We talked about this with Exodus growing up before us. And then, but there's, there's something that goes, actually, if you, you can keep turning your page after Exodus 17, there's more story that we will spend the rest of the summer going through the book of Exodus and then some with other parts of scripture. And I say that because this story in and of itself um, not only gives us what not to do, but also gives us, as we saw with Moses, what to do, but it also even more so gives us a push to who to look to gives us a future of our faith. And the reason why I say this is because if you keep reading this story, remember in Moses, in this story, he cries out to the Lord, and it's through his cry, that's, that's this mediating role that Moses has, that he cries out. He saves his own now, but he also, there, there's, a, there's salvation provision brought to the people. If you keep reading, then those in, in uh, the community Bible reading that we've been going through, you'll see this happens a lot. Israel needs their next save quite a bit. A little later, we're going to go up on Sinai, and in the midst of God being gracious to give his instructions on how to be a people, they're going to, they're going to be at the base of the mountain worshiping other gods, totally ditching on God's promises because Moses is out of sight, and so out of sight, out of mind. And Moses, again, will be this intercessor. He'll step into the place to beg and plead with God to remember his covenant, to remember his own promises, and continue to be with the people, to be in their midst. Later in, in Numbers, we're going to do the same thing again, where the people want to go up into the land, but do it without God. And Moses says, don't, don't squash out your people. Remember your promises. Remember your promise. He's going to intercede and mediate again. And that would be great if that just happened like over and over again. We'd, we'd be great. But eventually, even Moses fails. And a story that looks exactly like our story on the other side of Sinai, this is in Numbers 20, if you want to go read it later, just to summarize the main points is the people have a problem, they have a need, they grumble, as these people are often to do, and we ourselves are often to do. And then he's similar to this story, God provides 
through Moses. He says, go up. But this time, instead of striking the rock, you're going to speak to the rock. You're going to speak to the rock. Both are miracles. Both are God providing for his people in miraculous ways. But what does Moses do? If those of you who read the story, what does he do? He doesn't speak to it. He strikes it. And in fact, there you have this kind of Moses kind of taking things in their own hands. He takes the staff, and he thinks he can work the miracle. You rebels, are we to bring water out for you? He's not too friendly to the people, and he's not too obedient to God. But how does God characterize his disobedience? He doesn't say, you disobeyed, and now you can't go into the promised land. He says, you did not believe. You did not put your faith in me to render me holy before the people. Moses' faith eventually fails. He fails, and knowing this, and knowing that he's not going to promise, this is really the big swan song of Moses, is the book of Deuteronomy. This is one day in the life of, of Moses, and in that he gives this speech for the people that are going into the land. He says, remember God's promises, remember God's instruction for when you go into the land, and remember one of the things that he lays out is there's going to be another that's going to come. He's going to come after me another prophet that's going to speak on your behalf and direct you and guide you, and he's going to be like me. But what happens at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, there's a little like, like sticky note. Whoever's putting these books, a little sticky note that says, there's never been another prophet like Moses. He still, this guy that's supposed to be coming still hasn't come. And as you read on through the story, you got Joshua that arises up, and he's, he looks very much like Moses, but he's not quite that Moses figure that we're looking for. And again, you go through the kings, and each king is supposed to be this kind of, this kind of uh, uh, mediator or representative of the people before God. And you have king after king after king, and it's like they, they rise up and do good and bring about good things with the people, and they fail, and they fail, and they fail. So the, your Bibles, if you go to the last page of your Old Testament, the last couple lines there, you say, we're still waiting. We're still asking the question, where is this Moses figure? Where is this, this new exodus, this what I call that, it's like the, the prophet's package of, of promise. Like it's just, when is all things going to made new? When is God going to dwell with his people as he promised? When is all things going to come to fruition that he promised? That we're still waiting and we're still looking for this Moses figure to do it. And so that question at the last line of this little story is really deep. Like it holds a lot of weight and sums up what's going on within the Israelites, asking the question, is the Lord among us? Where is God? And I have to say, I mean, like, that is not a question I am unfamiliar with. I don't think that's an, a question that we, as just modern-day 21st century uh, Americans or, or, or just humans are unfamiliar with, this question of where is God? When we, I mean, you ever watch the news like a couple nights in a row? You look at this world, and the question is just burning in you. Where is God? It doesn't look like he's here or there or there. I don't. It's out of sight, out of mind, because the world doesn't look like it's put together right. And I think we all know that. But, but even within our four walls at home, we can think in our own lives, in the midst of our own personal difficulties, where is God? So many people, this is May season, everyone's graduating, and so everybody's posting, their, yay, graduation, and they're going to get their hoods. And day after graduation, application time. 
job, pay for those, you know, degrees, get some loans due. Um, my brother-in-law, you know, he's, he's not graduating this, he didn't graduate this year, but next year. So he's looking for internships and, and trying, to, trying to figure that whole thing out, and he's applying and applying and applying. Um, my grandfather, uh, uh, they, the family moved from uh, Ohio to, to here many years ago. He sent out, I think it's something like 265 applications. Heard back from one. One. That, that hurts. And the question is, is raised, like, what are you, like, where is God in this? But some of us here, I, I, I assume, uh, have jobs. And, and in that job, you're stressed, you're exhausted, you're overworked. That's, that's a, like, work is hard sometimes. And coworkers don't always help. And that stress of every day pressing in or, or just having too many things to do with too little hours. Or, or real hard, hard-working moms, like making that home come together, taking care of your kid in the middle of the night with only the light of this little nightlight and a semi-sleepy, cryy baby. I mean, that's like exhaustion and loneliness. And in those moments, I know from just um, talking with uh, a wife about this, I mean, it's just, it's hard. It hurts, you know, your, your dark room and, and it can feel super lonely. And the question is like, where is God in all this? Like, that's a real felt need, like a real need uh, for so many, so many. That loneliness isn't just, just for moms. I mean, I've been to a, a crowded, overcrowded Starbucks and you're like alone. Sometimes just in life, we feel as if there is no, there's no God around to be with us. But I think what, what's, what's hard is I think so easy to make the st- mistake of asking where is God and never saying, where are you, God? It's so easy to ask this blanket question and grumble and complain, where is God in the midst of my difficulty, but never turn that difficulty and that grumbling and that duking him out to, where are you, God? I have a real need. You turn that cry into a prayer, and you bring that prayer before God and say, I need you. I, I, I bank my life on the promises you've made in the past, and I bring those into the present. As, as a person of faith, I want to be a person of prayer. I think this is really important because when we, again, to get back into the story of Scripture that is such a guiding light to our lives, we continue to ask this question up until the last pages of the... We, we ask the question throughout the, the Old Testament, over and over again. Where is God? Are you with us? And we're still waiting. But if you turn that page in your Bible, you wind yourself up on Matthew 1. And there, in, in very in Matthew 1 and 2 and 4, especially these first few chapters, the way Matthew describes a certain someone this new Moses guy. He describes him just like Moses. Just like Moses, he's miraculously delivered from a bad pharaoh, a bad king. Just like Moses, he passes through, uh, in his case, the, the waters of baptism symbolizing passing through the waters 
and the Sea of Reeds, as we saw in Exodus. Just like Moses, he spends 40 days symbolizing these 40 years, and he does it without a single grumble. And just like Moses, he provides for his people in the wilderness when they're hungry and thirsty. But unlike Moses in this story, he doesn't cry out to God to save his own neck, but cries out to save the people. He suffers the anger of the people, not just at the threat of stoning, but ultimately the anger and their hatred to go to the cross and die. He takes up all our sin and our shame and goes to the cross to rescue us out of it, to bring about this new exodus that we've been longing for, the answer to the question of where is God and are you with us, God? Is your presence among us? Jesus comes as Emmanuel, God with us, and then lives this life of of faith before us, reenacting the story of Israel, growing up, if you will, before us, but doing it with absolute faithfulness, even to death on a cross, to save us, to bring about the ultimate exodus, a rescue not just from Pharaoh, but a rescue from our sin, from ourselves and our shame. The things that kept us from God, he now brings about a salvation and provides union and communion with God. So that now, now the sign to know of God's promise in the past is that God will always be with us. This is why the, the very last line of the book of Matthew, to stay in this book, is go, tell people about this word, and lo, I will be with you always. With Jesus, we have the ultimate sign, the ultimate promise, the ultimate word from God to say that I will always be with you. No matter your wilderness, no matter your dark times, no matter the the difficulty, big, small, or anything in between, Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is always in our midst. And so when we talk about trying to, to be this people of faith, with Jesus, we actually have some deep rooted promise to be this gospel people, as we talk about here, you know, people shaped and formed by people that know that God is for us in all things. And so that when we face difficulty and when we face the problems, big, small, that we know that he's with us and we can then bring that cry to him, knowing that he hears our prayers, that he is always with us. A people of faith are a people of prayer because we know Jesus came, died, and rose from the dead, and that thus he will always, always be with us. The sign and the seal that we know, and we can rest on that God will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is always here, no matter what we see in our circumstances. We know that we can trust and learn that lesson, like my little girl, that even though you can't see God, you know that he is always going to be with you despite your circumstances. And so in light of this, this is something, this is the, this, as I as prepared to, to preach this, to press into my life, to press on all of us as a family, to trust God, to trust him with everything, when we're out backs up against the wall and in the daily needs that we have, trust him through the wilderness by praying to him, by crying out to him, knowing full well that he is actually always with us because of Jesus. 
but also to trust God when we fail. So easy in my own life, it's, it's, it's so easy to, to walk away and run from God in the midst of falling, in the midst of failing, when I have my own failure of faith to go in the opposite direction. But I would plead with you to even in that, even when the wilderness and the, the kind of loneliness and emptiness comes because of our own sin, trust him. Press into him and bring that prayer to him. A people of faith are a people of prayer even through the wilderness because Jesus is always, always with us. So for many of us in this room, we follow Jesus and we try to follow us hard every day and day and day in and day out. Some of us, you might be thinking that Jesus, this, I know about this Jesus, I, you know, I've heard about this Jesus, you know, this this book you're carrying, I'm not sure, sure, so sure about that. It's got a talking snake on page three. I don't know if it's worth reading the rest of it. Um, for those of you that, that, that might not be sure about following Jesus, I would, I would urge you and press to you that, that rather than in the midst of your difficulty, not simply asking where is God in this kind of general sense, but bring that question, bring that difficulty to God and ask, where are you? Ask him. Ask him, not just grumble and complain in the corner. It's so easy to do in the midst of our difficulties. But ask him, where are you? I need you. Be present. And for those of us that do follow Jesus and, and try so hard uh, by his grace to be faithful day in and day out, ask, ask this question of yourselves and, and prod at your own heart. Look at the, the places in your life where difficulty emerges where are we grumbling and duking it out with our, our significant others or our, our other loved ones in our family? Where are we, instead of bringing our, our grumbling and complaint in prayer to God, where are we actually looking to the left and the right and just making heck of our lives? I submit to you that crying out to the Lord, putting your faith in him, you will never be disappointed. That does not mean there is no difficulty. That does not mean, as those that follow Jesus, there is there's no hardship, but trust him. I urge you to trust him through the hard times. When we are in our wilderness and when failure comes our way because of our own lacking, trust him with all of it. So we're going to take some time, just create some space here to do that. Uh, again, for those that maybe not so sure about this Jesus God or those that are trying to follow him, uh, we'll just create some space that we can, we can do that. We can bring our needs and our cries to the Lord and ask him to do something in our lives, my life, your life, our life as a family. We're the things that we are grumbling and where can we cry out to him in our need. So I ask you to pray with me. We'll take some time here silently as we can all pray amongst ourselves. Father, we come to you now as people who have needs, that we have difficulties in our lives. Come to you as people that, that hurt. We come to you as people that need more faith in our lives. 
And so with all of this, all the, the baggage we bring, we look to you, I ask you and plead with you. We cry out to you. Help us. We believe, we trust, but help us in our disbelief. Help us in our doubts. We look to you, but sometimes we look elsewhere. Move in this place now with your Holy Spirit. Work mightily through our lives to convict us of our sin and how we've grumbled against you. And may your gospel, your good news of how you rescue us, how you forgive our sin, how you forgive our doubts and our grumbles and our complaining. And you rescue us and you provide for us day in and day out. Remind us now so that as your people, as a people that have put our faith in you, we can be a people that pray to you. Through the good times, the bad times, through the wilderness, through our dark nights, do that here and now for your glory, our joy, and the good of all.